Welcome to the Cancer Youth Thrivers podcast. My name is Andrea Wilson-Woods, and I'm the CEO and co-founder of Cancer U. Join me each week as I interview cancer patients, caregivers, survivors, and providers about their cancer journeys. You're listening to Cancer Youth Thrivers, where real people share true stories. Kathy is a graduate of the Canadian School of Natural Nutrition, a certified professional cancer coach and a breast cancer survivor. Her personal and professional experience has given her a profound understanding of the importance of cultivating health during cancer care and for cancer prevention. Welcome, Kathy. Thank you so much for coming on today and sharing your story. Andrea, thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. I'm honored. Well, I am so excited and you do so much and we are going to circle back to your coaching, but I want you to take us back to the beginning of that cancer journey um, mm-hmm. 10 years ago. 10 years ago, almost to the day I was diagnosed. I won't give you all the, the dirty details beforehand. Uh, safe to say, um, I'm a mother of four children, so I'm blessed in that regard. And I had finished sort of my professional-ish career about a month before my diagnosis. So in my professional career, I worked downtown. I was in uh, finance. And then my dad opened a new company, and I started with him in a financial umbrella as well. And towards the end of it, he um, his health started to fail. So it, was, it became a stressful situation for us. We shut down the business. Um, his health continued to fail. But about a month after the, the business shut down, uh, I found a small lump in my breast. So doing self exams on a regular basis. I was basis. doing a self exam, and, and and know that this was before I got into my training and into this sphere that I'm in now. But I always did self exams. Um, my mom had had breast cancer. Oh, terrible! I'm going to say five years before me. I, I could be way off in that, but she was she was uh, older, obviously. So I was always very. Um, always been very conscientious of my body. Uh, and so yes, it was through a self exam. So I found this tiny little lump. And it literally coincided with my very first mammogram, which was to happen a week and a half later. So I had I was 47 at the time. Probably, you know, I think I think under our umbrella, it's about 50 if there's no previous history that you start with the regular mammograms. Um, but because my mom had had a history, um, my my GP said, you know, just please go. So I, I thought, you know, what are the chances? So that little lump, it came and it went and it came and it went and I try and find it and one day I couldn't and the next day I could. So I was a bit anxious when I went for my mammogram, needless to say, um, and I had the mammogram and then I went away on a trip and I couldn't enjoy my trip as much as I'd like to because I was waiting for that phone call. And this is, this is the absolute truth. So I got home, I had about 11 messages. The very last one was, we think we've seen something in your mammogram. We'd like you to come back. And of course, my stomach, everything dropped. I was extremely anxious. Um, I went back in for the mammogram. And this is the part of my story. I have several parts, but this is the part of my story that I feel blessed, but I also want to tell people about. So I went in, I had my second mammogram, and they came back to me that day and said, okay, it was just nothing. We didn't see anything. 
oftentimes it's it's a flap of skin that's folded over so nothing so I was walking out the door and the ultrasound technician said listen Mrs. Biasa we've already got this set up for you why not let just you know you think you felt something we saw a little shade let's just go through with it and I was like okay so we did the the ultrasound and she said there's something here she goes I can't tell you what it is but there's something on the the scan I would like to go further with it and so it happened but if that technician uh, had not grabbed me on my way out the door it could have been much worse um, nobody wants this diagnosis but um, I, she may have saved my life so uh, you know and then the doors opened the biopsies the the positive finding the surgeries um, I did have some uh, it was very small small tumor but somehow I got uh, cancer into the first four lymph nodes so of course when I woke up I had the drains in my uh, arm and in my breasts um, I did have a double mastectomy because they found DCIS in the left breast so um I had the option for the lumpectomy, but everything for me, I, I just felt safer. I'd, uh, it, it was just my reaction to it. And so that was my choice. It went against other people's ideas of what I should do. But for me, um, this is what felt right. So I went ahead with that. Um, and then, I, of course, I had to go through, it was microscopic cancer. I remember waking up and, and the, my surgeon was there. And I, my surgical team, my oncology team was, was so wonderful. And I woke up and she said, okay, so surgery went really well. She said, we found some in the lymph nodes. And I started to cry right away because, you know, you Google these things. This is the first thing you do, right? You Google, you, you look for for answers and it's I just found scary things and the scary thing was it it can't go into the lymph nodes and that was what I went into the surgery with and so, so when, I'm gonna back up for a second sorry I hate to interrupt but I'm back up because there's so much here to talk about <laughs> and I just want to dig in um so prior to the surgery mm -hmm. had you been told what the stage was yet or had they not given you a stage because they didn't know about the lymph nodes? Well, they, they didn't know about the lymph nodes. The surgery was the mastectomy and we were going to start with the reconstruction at the time because the doctor felt that we could get through everything that it was all, uh, they thought that all I would be on was um, a hormonal therapy after so they could start. And when you start, it's the, the implants first, the expanders, and they are, they have a steel uh, metal, um, property to them. So typically, if you know you're going through radiation or treatment, they won't start that right away. So they felt that they've caught it early. It was a very small, small tumor. I had one MRI where I bled quite a bit from my breast. And in fact, they had to take me down to another room because I was bleeding. And I always wondered if that was part of the reason that it got into my lymph nodes. I don't know. Um, they wouldn't say because the doctor was very surprised. So you that, had an MRI, a test, this yeah. prior to the surgery. For the tagging, you know, all these tests for the tagging. Um, and yes. And so that Did one test. bleeding? It caused bleeding in my in my breast. Yes, I had it. Well, it was MRI, but it was also a, a di they had to tag me, so there was a penetration um, there. So it wasn't just an MRI. I don't know the name of the actual test, but there was a penetration in there, um, and so I bled. And it it it, um, it was it was 
just bleeding, but it wouldn't stop right away. Um, it wasn't life threatening by any means, but it was it was bleeding, and so I, that's just always stuck in my mind. Regardless, so it got into the first four lymph nodes. So I had, you know, for safety's sake, I think they took out thirteen of them. Um, but my doctor said to me, you know, it's microscopic. Your tumor was very small. Be thankful that we found all this. We've got everything. But I had to go through chemotherapy and radiation. If your tumor was so small, and when they say small, are we talking pea-sized? Pea-sized. So I think it was, uh, you know, it was was six, seven millimeters, very tiny. Then why the chemo and radiation? And and what were your thoughts about that? because it went into my lymph nodes. So as, as mentioned, they didn't, they didn't think that this would be uh, the case. Right. So, and I just wanted to mention here, you don't want the chemo to go into the lymph nodes. Obviously you don't want it spreading, but also, um, I was so, so afraid when she told me that, but she gave me comfort. I said, we've got this, we've got a handle on this. I, I, when I work with people, it, I, I, sometimes the, the stories that they get in their head and the preconceptions, um, I, I just, you know, I want my story told because I did have it in my lymph nodes and I did have the, 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 you know, the further treatment and I did make it through. And I think that that's important. Um, for me, um, I decided on my protocol I was comfortable with my protocol and I was comfortable with what the doctors were telling me. And I think that gave me a sense of peace. It gave me a sense of security. And I felt grateful grateful for my medical team. I did. I really did. Um, and so it was a year, almost a year to the day between um, diagnosis, surgery, all of the reconstruction uh, chemotherapy, radiation, um, almost a year. So did you do the reconstruction after chemo and radiation? I'm just trying to understand the timeline for people. Right. So the surgery before the radiation could happen, I needed to have the implants removed. So I had the surgery, um, and then I had the, I'm trying to remember now, you've got me here. I had the chemotherapy, and then I had to wait um, until my immune system was was where it should be. My blood work was never a concern, so I had to wait. It ended up being like a September to early December chemotherapy regime. And then I had the time off uh, over Christmas, which was about six to eight weeks. And then we went in, they went in and took out the expanders and then put in the implants. And then I started my radiation afterward. Interesting. So chemo mm-hmm. before... Yes. Reconstruction and radiation after. Mm-hmm. So, so interesting. Okay. And tell us a little bit more about the reconstruction, if you don't mind, because I know many breast cancer survivors choose not to do reconstruction. Mm-hmm. So I would just love to hear your thoughts about it. This is an interesting story too, uh, leading up to present day. <laughs> so, um, I had lost weight actually before I went into any therapy. The stress of it caused me to lose a lot of weight before I went into surgery or anything. So I was not um, a candidate for a Dieppe flap or anything like that. So I had the choice of implants or the choice of not, the, of reconstruction or not, and I opted for it. 
Uh, I talked to the talk to the surgical team. I talked to the plastic surgery, and and that was my decision um, to go that way. So, did you want me to explain the process? So they put the expanders in, and then every two weeks I went and I had almost like a fluid or was a fluid injected just to increase the size of the of the tissue, the breast tissue, the skin. I wasn't breast tissue, so the skin uh, where the breast would go. And then after um, it, the, the skin was expanded to the size of the implants I was getting, they went in and slipped them in. And so that was the, the surgery. I just want to know why you chose reconstruction. And no, no judgment here, but no. I find it really fascinating that some women do, some women don't. Mm-hmm. Um, so why did you choose reconstruction? And then I want to circle back to something you said about the initial double mastectomy. Um, I chose reconstruction because, and this was after research, and and everyone is different. You know, this is, everyone has their own opinion. Um, I did not, it was considered safe. um, And I did not want to be tied to um, prosthetics. Mm, Okay. So I, I wasn't prepared to go without the look of, of my breasts. At that time, I was 47. um, And some of it factored into, I had a young daughter. I had four kids, but one was younger. Um, it factored into that. I didn't want her to be afraid. I mean, whether that's right or wrong or not, um, I, I just, I, I felt for me that that was the right decision to make. Um, and so that's why I, I chose it. Okay. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. And then you said something earlier I found very curious about you chose the double mastectomy mm-hmm. and you said something about how others didn't agree with that decision. Mm-hmm. Right. Can you tell us a little more about that? Um, again, looking on the internet and hearing people talk and you get more towards the alternative and there's, you know, a big, a big grouping of people who have their opinions and then you look towards the medical and the research was, um, the research was showing that a lumpectomy could do the trick. But my thought was I was so afraid and I was, I had so much stress. And when they found the DCIS in the other breast, my thought process and no one could change my mind. And I've never regretted my decision. My thought process was, I want to do everything in my power to never go through this again. That was my personal thought process, whether that was rational with what I was being told and, and, you know, the, the medic, I wasn't given advice. I was told my options, which I think was very fair. My gut and what I had experienced up until that time was, I want never to go through this again, if it's in my power. And for me, that was the choice of a double mastectomy, knowing they had found DCIS in the left breast. Explain what that means for people. So it I wasn't mean- a tumor. They were cancerous cells. You know, it wasn't a cancer diagnosis. It was almost like a pre-cancer. They had found cells that could, um, at some point, lead into a cancer diagnosis. And I know all the stories, and I know all the, it may not, there's a good chance, but for me, yeah, this is what I wanted to do. And that's where I felt I talked it over with my husband. I have a very close family I had a very close support network. And people were concerned in both areas. Hmm. Um, yeah. But I really didn't ask people's opinion as to what I should do. 
I wasn't interested in other people's opinions about what I should do, except my husband's. Uh, you know, it's not that I didn't value other people's opinions. It's just our relationship. And he was, you know, it's you need to figure out where you're most comfortable. And with that advice, it was, this is my decision. Oh, what you just said. I didn't ask other people's opinions about what I should do. No. That is beautiful. I hope you know that. That's just. I, I never said that actually out loud, but, you know. It's beautiful. I, people don't often ask me this part of my story. I knew from the get-go what I wanted. So you go through reconstruction, and I have a feeling, because you hinted already, <laughs> there was more to it than that. Mm-hmm. So are we now about, um, for people to have the timeline, are we now like 2012 or so? Yeah, about that. Yep. Okay. Uh, and everything went well. I mean, no one wants these things. I had a little tightening because because this, you know, if we had known what we, we knew after, uh, this could have been done later. So I had radiation on the one side and it tightens it up a little bit, tightens the, um, the whole cavity there, uh, the capsule there. So I'm a little tighter on the one side, um, but never doable. I mean, it's always been doable. It was done well. I've never had pain. Oh, they're not my breasts. That's fine. I, I get that. Um, and you know, whatever. Um, the issue popped up about a year ago. Um, I have textured implants and the textured implants, there had been some cases of women developing a a specific type of cancer uh, with them. Um, And so I was called because I had this particular type of textured implant and they, you know, I spoke again to my reconstruction surgeon and she said, very, very, just a few people, but you need to know this. Well, you know, if, well, I don't know if other people are the same. For me, it's like this story just is never ending. This is just, <laughs> this is just, this is great. You know, from okay, let's test your genes to let's test your genes again to it's like every time I went in, it was always, it was never like you're great, you're doing well. See, it was like well, now we can do this, and and I'm the type of person whereas you know, I need to know what I need to know. And I don't want to dive into things that I really don't, can't do anything with. So now that was the issue. So, um, and I'm at 10 years. And so now I'm, I'm at very, very present. This is very fresh considering now, because as uh, luck would have it, I have gained a bit more weight. So I do have tissue in my abdomen and enough fat in my abdomen that my next decision is to, let it ride for a little bit. Um, also at 10 years, there is talk, you know, at some point these things may need to be replaced and I'm young enough that if I do the surgery now, you know, I can avoid it as I get older. Um, or I do this Dieppe flap, which is available to me. Um, but it is, it, it's a surgery, right? And it's an eight or nine hour surgery. Um, Wow, that's a so, long time. Yeah, so this is where I'm at now. If the sur- I mean, I can I can take the pain, I can take the recovery. That's uh, not an issue for me. Um, and it's, it, you know, in my head, I have other things. If everything goes well, this is the you know, this is going to be great. I'll never have to go back and see the plastic surgeon. I can get this DAP flap done, and that's the end of it. The tissue is my own. I'll you know, I won't have this feeling of the implants. Um, and so that's where I'm at now. And I'm still mulling that decision over. COVID has given me the long opportunity of not having to make a decision at this point. 
um, because there are, I don't think there are even um, surgeries going on now that are, um, what are they, not op- optional, is that what it's called? Optional surgeries? Or- right, elective. Elective, yeah. elective, yeah. that's the word. Uh, and so that's where I'm at now. Would you explain um, to people, because I think the average person doesn't know what that flap surgery is and what mm-hmm. it entails, and you mentioned using your own tissues, so could you go mm-hmm. into that a little bit? So as I say, um, over the years, I've been lucky enough to develop, and plus the medication too. I'm actually, you know, I say this is part medication, not just part me. Um, I've got a nice, a little tummy. Um, and where I didn't have one before when I went in for, for my original surgery for the um, implants, what they do is they can take the fat and they can put it up into the breast area but they need to do the microsurgery to get all the veins and uh, veins connected so that the, the fat will thrive and live. Mm, so okay. basically, um, again, if all goes well, I get my own flesh basically as my breast tissue um, and a flat tummy, which is great. <laughs> like so a bonus. <laughs> yeah, it's a bonus. And this is if everything goes well. And again, I've done my research and it's um, a lot of success. So, but it is you know, any surgery is a risk. So I'm kind of right now trying to wait for that, you know, bolt of lightning to say, go for it or hold off. And I do have the option of going flat. Uh, Again, I don't know, you know, I work out, I go to gyms, it would be um, using the the prophylactics again. And um, I'm just, I don't know where I'm at. The prophylactics, prosthetics. Uh, uh, Sorry about that. The prosthetics again. So I'm just, I'm not, um, I'm wrestling with all of it at the moment. I appreciate you being so honest about wrestling with a decision 10 mm-hmm. years after the diagnosis and you have more options now. Uh, can you tell us a little bit more about, you mentioned a medication and, and I, I know what you're talking about, but can mm-hmm. you just mention um, you survive your cancer, you're right. considered cancer free, but now you're on this drug. So can mm-hmm. you uh, tell us a little more about that? My my cancer was estrogen positive, so I have receptor sites that uh, a lot of receptor sites that will suck in the estrogen, and the estrogen will, um, with breast cancer, it, it creates the cells faster. So it, it's it's what's the the genesis of the cancer basically, um, and so the hormonal therapy is to. Uh, really, there are two types of it. So I was on the tamoxifen and now I'm on the exemestane, two different types of medication. One blocks the enzyme and one um, blocks the receptor site. So two different modes or methods of uh, mechanisms of action. But the result is, is that I have a, a low level of estrogen in my system. So we're on, we're on a hierarchy, right? I want, I don't want cancer. I don't want it to come back. And so that's, the main focus for me. So yes, I'm taking the medication, but it has its side effects. Um, And one of the side effects is um, you can gain a little weight because estrogen uh, fat cells can um, be a place where estrogen loves to be. So, you know, when you're not creating it through the ovaries, through the adrenals, through um, other places in the body, um, it it will make, the body is a wonderful thing. It knows it needs estrogen. And so it will find ways to to help you create it. But all in all, my estrogen is kept very, very low. But one of the side effects, and there are many side effects of of this medication um, and and doable. It's so important that when you're taking these medications, you understand 
A, what it's for, obviously, but you need to know all medications impact other things. Um, It's not just a straight line. So knowing where your medication is going to be um, a negative factor in your body sets you up to help you mitigate those side effects. So that's the medication I'm taking. It's to make sure that my estrogen doesn't get to a level where breast cancer, uh, the breast cancer can um, start to flourish again. How long do you have to be on this medication? And there's another question. So I was off the tamoxifen after five years, and now I'm on the exemestane, um, and it was supposed to be for five years. But at my last appointment, she dropped a little nugget saying that um, there have been recent studies where going back on tamoxifen for an extended period of time has, you know, they have had some studies. So that was just sort of as I was walking out the door. Um, so I didn't really, I, I will be meeting with my oncologist. I'm supposed to be off my medication in January of 2022. Um, and so I guess at that time, we'll have a sit down and then I'll start doing some research on that. If this yeah. is what she wants me to do as well. So the journey continues, really. You know, cancer is part of my life now, right? It's it's a part of, it's a story. Um, it's, as I say, it's not the whole book. Uh, <laughs> it's something I deal with. We all have something to deal with. Um, and this is my thing. I think uh, we all, as I said, we all have weaknesses. We all have crosses to bear. And um, as long as I, it's not my whole life. It's just another thing that I'm working on and I, I try and, and manage the best I can. Well, you seem to be managing very well. I have Thank to say. you. What was your worst moment? When uh, I found out, um, I was waiting for the results. So it was two weeks and I was ready not to hear anything. I was not pushing for results. Um, so my husband, we were driving home and he said, have you heard from the doctor yet? And I said, I haven't. He says, why don't you call? I says, I don't want to call. I just oh. don't want to call. And so I have, here I'm thinking, good. He said, and he was in his car and I was in my car and he said, we're calling now. Mm. And uh, so I called my, the doctor and the receptionist answered who I'd known for many years. And we, we were talking, he patched me into her and he said, Irene, we haven't heard um, any of the results yet. And so she goes, oh, and then she goes and looks, she goes, oh, Kathy, I'm so sorry, but the test came back positive. And, um, at that point she started to cry. And of course I was, yes, we'd known each other for a while and I was pulled over in the parking lot of a Loblaws or something. And I started, and I was just, I thought I was gonna, I didn't know what was going to happen. Um, so that was the worst because at that time when she told me the results, I think it only took me about 10 seconds to organize in my mind's eye what will happen to my family if I'm not there. Um, And so my husband will be fine. Um, My three older kids, they're old enough, but my daughter, my daughter's only nine. What's going to happen with my daughter? All within about 10 seconds. And um, that's the reality of cancer still. The diagnosis is so immune suppressing because it's such a shock to the system. Um, And I'm hoping that little by little, the steps that, you know, you're making that I'm making in this, this, uh, this piece of the world, um, we're making this a bit more manageable for people as opposed to facing mortality as soon as you hear that diagnosis. Um, but 10 years ago, that was the first thing I thought of that I'm not going to be around. And that's just not the way it is. So but that for me, 
was the worst because I had, and it took me about two weeks to get my head around it. I ate well, I exercised, I wasn't, I didn't take drugs. I, you know, I was a moderate drinker. I didn't smoke and it took me a while to get past the why me. Mm. And, um, once I did that, and once I sort of dug my heels in, I never felt, I didn't feel, wasn't unwell. Right. Um, it was, it was uh, a turnaround. Once I said, okay, it's going to be head down, I'll do this. Um, that's when the shift happened. That's when I started taking control myself. And that's what I... I, I talk to people about all, this is what I advocate for is finding your piece of control in all of it. And once I found that, everything turned around. Oh gosh. I love that. And I love where you, you said, and um, if I misquote you, we'll go back to the original quote <laughs> when we put it in the show notes, but you said something about how the diagnosis of cancer is so uh, um, immune suppressing or yeah. something like that. Yeah, and so I, immune suppressing. I don't think I've ever heard it put that way before, but it totally makes sense. Mm-hmm. And, and yeah, I, I love the way you put that. Um, really interesting. Well, what was your best moment? And I use this one all the time. I guess I'm not like you're talking about during the, my treatment. I'm going to go with during my treatment, my best diagnosis. So after I had turned my head around and I had got my team together, who uh, we worked on what I was eating, we worked on certain uh, exercises and things like that. Once I got my mindset going uh, and got that into drive, I felt so much better. And I was waiting one particular day, I was in. And as luck would have it, at the hospital I was at, the, the chemotherapy area was undergoing construction. So I was getting chemotherapy in the basement. So it was really a great time. And that clap was just for me. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So sorry about that. uh, So I was downstairs. Chemotherapy chemotherapy in the basement. Yeah. So that, okay. (laughs) So it wasn't, you know, uh, you know, we're literally in folding chairs waiting to go in. They had set up an area um, for people who have gone through cancer and in the medical space, the allopathic care, there's a lot of phone calls and tests and results. And, you know, and I, I, you know, every time the phone rang, I would have to run to the bathroom first before, you know, I could, it was just, it just played on me. Um, I'd run to the bathroom, my husband would answer the phone and I'd come back and, you know, and literally it was, it, it seemed to me that every call came in, there was, it was something to do with, with uh, what was going on in my treatment. So I was sitting downstairs in the chemotherapy basement and the nurse called me and I thought, oh, sweetness, what's going on now? You know, oh, I'm made it here. I'm, I, you know, I'm, I'm trying to get into this right head space and she calls me up. And like you're sitting there. No, no, I'm sitting there and she calls me up to her desk. Got it. Okay. Got it. And you know, I'm, I felt like I was just doing this walk of shame thinking what, what's going to happen? What is she going to say to me? What's going So she said, I just want to tell you that your blood work is outstanding. She goes, I've been watching your blood work. And she says, it's better than mine. So I don't know what you're doing, but it's awesome. And I was like, okay. <laughs> and I, I thought, you know, I, 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 there was no fear that I didn't need to worry about it. And I sat down, and I thought, hmm. So I have been making a difference with myself. And, um, I think that was, uh, it was rewarding. It was, um, 
that made me feel so good. It made me feel healthy in all of it. And so during treatment, that was, that was a highlight for me when she, she called, there are lots of people signed up for chemotherapy. I wasn't there by myself. So she took the time and it was enough for her to, to call me up. And that was, it was something for me, you know, and I went back and I started thinking about it later on and later on in the week, it was like, wow, that's, that's great. It made you feel healthy. It made me feel healthy. And I hadn't felt healthy, even though I wasn't feeling sick. I felt like I must have done something wrong. There's something wrong with me that I got this cancer. And uh, she made me feel healthy again. Oh, gosh. Does she know that no. that made such an impact on you? No, because it d- didn't really resonate because I was still, you know, I'm, I was, you know, still in that, you know, go, Kathy, go. We're going into chemotherapy now, um, you know, mindset. It was, it, it took a, it took a while for it to sink in. And um, there were a lot of people. I tried to circle back actually to that technician who said, let's just go and see. And yeah. I could never really find her because I didn't know her name. Oh. Um, and you know, if I could tell her what a difference she probably made in my life and this nurse, I don't even know what she looked like. Cause I was so afraid walking up to her. I don't know what she's going to tell me. Um, and uh, yeah, so no, they don't know, but I tell you, I hang, I hung on every word and nuance and facial expression of any of the practitioners that I worked with. I knew when the doctor came back that I would have to go. I just saw it in her face that it wasn't exactly what she wanted. Um, I, I just, I don't know if everyone's the same, but I just, I had to have my husband with with me. Uh, he was beautiful and he came to, uh, had to have been over a hundred appointments because all I was doing was hanging on. Is it going well? Am I going to live? Is it gone? And then after that, I didn't hear anything. I was going into each appointment needing to hear certain things. And then after that, I didn't. It was, I, I was, I was so like, and once I heard what I needed to hear, I kind of checked out. So after every appointment, it was like, I'd say to my husband, so what did she say? Or what did he say? And now what? And, and I tell you, the support that I had was for you supporters out there. You don't know what you mean to people like us who have gone through cancer. It's, uh, it's, it's your so, it's such an important piece of the whole process. And you just gave a beautiful example of why every patient needs someone to accompany mm-hmm. them to appointments. Mm-hmm. doesn't have to be the same person every time. doesn't have to be a spouse, but they do need someone else there. And, yeah, and it's, it's a good idea, you know, if you have questions to write them down, because if you're anxious, uh, memory can be not where you want it to be when you're sitting down there. So um, we always had questions. If I had certain questions and I was, you know, they left my mind, I, I had them written down. So I knew what I wanted to ask. What is the one thing that you wish you had known at the beginning of your cancer journey? I wish I had known, like, from the moment I was diagnosed, maybe even before I got the diagnosis, when I was going for the test, I wish I had have known that even if it comes back that I have cancer, I have a lot that I can do. Mm-hmm. I can grab control of a significant piece of my cancer protocol regardless. I wish I had known that, I had a large controlling factor in where I was going along this cancer journey and I could contribute to it because I was afraid a lot of the way through. And I think when you, um, I learned as I was going through 
and it picked up speed that I had a lot that I could do to do to get through my my protocol. Um, if I had have known that, if I had have, if if I had have been able to say to somebody, I'm going in for a mammogram, and I think they found something, and someone said to me, okay, if they find something, this is where we're going to start. Okay, this is what we're going to sit down and this is what we're going to do because these treatments can do this, this, this. And so let's get ahead of that. I think I would have been in a less fearful state. I love that. And Kathy does not live in the U.S. So this question is going to be framed a little bit differently. Um, If you could do only one thing to improve healthcare in Canada, what would it be and why? Um, I think... And probably it's in the States too. Um, I think that within a cancer protocol, we need to, so if you picture it as a pie, we need to take a segment of that pie and dedicate it to cultivating health. Mm -hmm. Um, The healthier you are before your treatments, the better you can manage the side effects, the better you come out at the other end. And I think if, I I don't, I think this is the missing piece Uh, mentally, physically, emotionally. This is a piece of the puzzle that's not dealt with to the significance that it needs to be dealt with. And that's what I would change. Amen. Amen. Kathy, are you ready for the Thriver rapid fire questions? I hope so. (laughs) (laughs) Just have fun. Just have fun. Um, Beach, desert, or mountains? A hundred percent the beach. Ah, yes, yes woman after my own heart beach boys beetles or rolling stones beetles what is the one word that best describes you a thriver and before you die what is the last song you want to hear tiny dancer by elton john oh great (laughs) choice gosh and last meal you want to eat oh a pasta um, with probably just a, a, a homemade tomato sauce with lots of Parmesan cheese. That would be my favorite. And the last person or people you want to see? Oh, my family, my husband, my kids. And the last words you will speak? Thank you. It's been a great ride. And aside from Cancer you, what is one resource you would recommend for cancer patients and caregivers. And I would like you to take this opportunity to tell us about what you do. Okay. Well, I love my resource um, because I made it through my experience and just from what we were talking about. It's something I wish I had had when I was going through my own treatment. It's a program that helps you understand where you impact your health where this impacts cross-sections into cancer care. I focus on the microbiome, supporting our detoxification, circadian rhythms, and all of these things. It's not just nutrition. It's not just your treatments. It's, it's a whole body approach to care that integrates with your treatment. And um, I made it out of, out of love. I made it out of the hope that if I can help one person, um, then what I've gone through and what I have learned has been a benefit. So um, that is where my heart lies. That's what I do day in and day out. And um, that's the resource that I would really love people to take a hold of. And just the understanding that they have such a significant piece in their entire cancer protocol. That's, that's the underlying premise of everything. 
And how can people find out about it, Kathy? Where, where can they reach you? KathyBiasse.com is probably the easiest. It's got all my social sites. I'm on Instagram. On Instagram, I'm at KathyBiasse. On Twitter, I'm at Kathy underscore Biasse. But you can find out everything about me right on my website. Kathy, thank you so much for coming on today and sharing your story. Thank you for having me. It was a real pleasure. Thank you for listening to the Cancer Youth Thrivers podcast. If you like our podcast, give us a five-star rating and review and tell your friends about us. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you're listening right now. If you want to share your cancer journey with the world and be a guest on our podcast, go to our website, cancer.university. That's cancer.university. And hit the contact button or click the contact link in the show notes. You've been listening to the Cancer Youth Thrivers podcast. Real people, true stories.